Welcome, everyone, to another episode of DorkFest, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We hope you have enjoyed our last three Movie Madness episodes, uh, hosted excellently, as always, by the uh, by Mr. Dork himself, Dan, the Dork Man, free moves. Or at least Mr., you know, the, the, the Dork Man himself for the, the this past um, few months of dorky madness. We've got a bit of a return to our normal show setup for you all tonight. Uh, before we move into that, though, I'd just like to remind you to please subscribe to our friendly little show wherever you find your podcast, be it uh, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, um, or really anywhere else you can find us. Um, and also, we'd love for you to connect, to, connect with us on Instagram. Uh, you can find us there at dorkfest underscore podcast. Once more, that's dorkfest underscore podcast. Uh, now, this particular show, we're going to be asking the dorks to uh, dig into the toy chests of their childhood and potentially their adulthood, too. Um, before we get to that, though, um, as always, we should hear from the dorks themselves. And for the first time ever, I believe, we have a little surprise warm-up question. Call it a blind warm-up question for the dorks. Um, so, Dan, will be coming to you first here in a second. So, Dan, along with any dorky quips that you would like to provide, uh, I'd also like to know, as we're going to be talking about toys for the rest of the day, I'd like to know, what's your best toy store find? That is a really... Good question. Whew, boy, howdy. I, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of one necessarily that was like a hard to find toy or, you know, like one I'd been searching for for a long time. So instead, I'm going to go back to a very distinct memory that I have of discovering a toy or brand of toys I didn't even know existed. And that's when I discovered for the very first time. This is pre-internet and spoilers and knowing these things are coming out. We were taking a family trip up to Michigan and we happened into, you know, like a Target or a Caldors or a, you know, one of these catch-all stores. And in the toy aisle was the Star Wars, the Power of the Force line of action figures. And this was the first time that I ever knew, like, holy crap, they have released new versions of our beloved characters. Before this, the only Star Wars figures we could get our hands on were the one from the late 70s and the early 80s, which were beat to heck and didn't have the cool articulation and the cool look of this new line. And I distinctly remember purchasing the Stormtrooper uh, that afternoon. He had the little blaster and then the rifle cannon. I thought, this guy looks so cool. He actually looks like the Stormtrooper from the movie. So I'm gonna say that is my, uh, my best toy store Fine. Good, good question there, Jordy. And because it was such a good question, I'm going to spare you my, my dorky quip for the evening. Oh, oh thank you. I, I, I don't know that we're so lucky to be spared those from our other two dorks. Uh, Josh, what about you? Dorky quips? Toy store find? No, I'm just going to launch into, into my story. Um, mine is, like Dan, I can't really remember a time when I specifically found something in a toy story that I wasn't expecting. But I can describe a time when somebody else did. Um, when I was very young, I was very into starting lineups. These are basically like sports action figures. And I was a catcher uh, in Little League. And so I wanted a catcher starting lineup. And so my dad got me uh, Benito Santiago and a Don Slot. 
uh, these are two catchers. But my mom, for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe I was being a particularly lousy kid that day, decided that I was only allowed to have one catcher. There's only one catcher on the field, so Josh only needs one catcher starting lineup. So I kept Benito Santiago. He's right here with me tonight. But Don Slott got taped back together in his box, and when Toys R Us wouldn't take him back, Dad shoved him in the rack behind some of the other starting lineups. So someone somewhere found a previously opened Don Slott starting lineup that I'm sure they were not expecting or thought there did some, you know, some funny business uh, horseplay tampering with. Uh, but no, it was just, I was only allowed one catcher. So somebody has that Don slot somewhere. Uh, blessings to you. I, I was not allowed to keep him. Oh, that is a great, that, that's a great story. I, 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 had, I had forgotten about the, the tape job on that. I remembered it being crammed back in there. Or perhaps, Josh, in some Toy Story-like alternate universe, Don Slott is hanging out with Woody and Buzz Lightyear somewhere. I, I don't know anything about Don Slott other than that he was a starting lineup that I had. I'm not even positive that he was a real baseball player. No, he was. He played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was a pirate, yeah. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was a pirate. And I, I, I will just say this. Um, if the owner of that Don Slot action figure would like to reach us, please get you can in do touch so at Dorkfest underscore podcast. <laughs> there's there's one member of this podcast who would be particularly interested in in making that connection. Oh, oh great stories so far great stories so far Gabe we'll, we'll pass it over to you um, no no quip so far so you're going to be the only one to to quip us uh, only halfway because I don't have anything nearly as good as that so uh, you can pass it along to me and I'm probably just going to pass it right along down the bench I got nothing that good and I'm not going to follow Josh I'll give you you know or you know I'll give you this one too your your option b here is uh, I'll I'll pull I'll fill in your usual role in the warmups because I've got like three or four different ideas here that I could possibly drop. Um, but I'll sort of, I'll sort of riff on Dan's cause he actually reminded me of a, a good toy. It wasn't a toy store find, but it was a toy find uh, back in the day when cereal box tops used to mean something kids. Um, if you collected enough of them from a certain cereal and I don't remember what it was, that wasn't the important part, but you collected enough, you sent them in and you got one of those, uh, what Dan's talking about, that sort of power of the force era figures. And it was Han Solo as a stormtrooper. and his helmet came off and I liked him so much. I got him twice because I lost him the first time somewhere. So uh, thanks to, I don't know, life cereal or Wheaties or whatever the heck general mills company uh, was doing that free advertising. Y'all were doing that, that allowed me to get that Han Solo as a stormtrooper figure twice. He was cool and was the hero of many of my play setups at the time. I do think I found the answer, though. Gabe, are you a Fruit Loops fan? I was. The girls a, a, too, a, a quick so. little Google search, uh, plug there for Google, uh, yeah, <laughs> reveals funny. that it does <laughs> look like it. For yeah, Fruit Loops. Google needs plugs. <laughs> it does look like it was Kellogg's Fruit Loops, by which one acquired the Han Solo in Stormtrooper garb, which also, uh, via quick Google, looks like had you kept him, maybe the second one, in the shrink wrap, it would be worth a pretty penny here in 2021. That guy's in some uh, antique toy store toy section right now, um, and hopefully in good condition. He was, he was uh, a lot of fun. No longer mint in box. I got to say, too, Fruit Loops and Han Solo, like that, 
I don't think and it sounds Han like doesn't feel like a fruit somebody. Loop it, it sounds like an insult that Han Solo is going to throw. Come on, Fruit Loop. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Well, awesome answers, everyone. Thanks for indulging me on the our little surprise warm-up question there. Um, as our listeners no doubt have figured out, we're going to be talking all about toys, our beloved toys, for this episode of DorkFest, the podcast. You know, we've been talking so much about all of our franchise favorites, but for many of us, the way in which we interacted and really fell in love with all of these different franchises was to be able to actually play with the toys. And Dan, as you mentioned earlier, sometimes it was because of the accuracy of the toys. Um, however, with another beloved franchise of mine, Transformers, sometimes it was not about the accuracy or the playability, we will call it, of these toys. Um, but I'm really, really excited to hear what all the dorks have to share with us about their, about their, the toys of their childhood and their adulthood. Uh, just kind of walk our listeners through what we're going to be talking about. We are going to be returning back to our traditional one, two, and three point question format. First, I'm going to be asking the dorks to be talking about the first toys that they remember playing with. Um, and, and toys here, we're leaving this very open-ended in terms of ter terminology. Basically, a toy being anything that one can play with. So a lot of different options for where the dorks can be going. Uh, for the second uh, question, we're going to be asking the dorks to, to sort of list or talk about some of their all-time favorite toys, the, uh, the creme de la creme or the, uh, perhaps more appropriately, the toys that would be on the top shelf. I'm kind of picturing that, that, that shelf that uh, dad built in, uh, in Josh's bedroom. Um, the, the top shelf of toys there, whatever toys would be ending up on there. And then finally, for the three-point question, I'd like to know where their toy interests are currently. So these are either the toys that they still own or the toys that they have more recently bought. Um, so we're going to hear all about, all about all of those different toy-related topics here in a moment. But first, we'll go to our actual warm-up question. And this is one that I was very, very excited to pose to all the dorks and very excited to pose an answer for myself. And may it please the dorks, I, I only have one. I only have one. So hopefully it's not stolen. Otherwise, then I'm going to be really in trouble. Uh, but as all of the dorks know, especially, um, for me, playing with the toys was really only not even half the fun, maybe a quarter of the fun, where the fun really came in was the setups. And I really went in deep with these setups. I remember specifically one setup that I'm pretty sure stayed up within one room in our childhood home for at least an entire week. So um, praise to our parents for allowing me to do that. But what I'd like to know for today's warm-up question, and Dan, we're going to be going to you again first. I'd like to know for all, from all of the dorks, what do you believe is the best location for a toy setup? This is the easiest warm-up question that has ever been asked in the history of DorkFest, the podcast. Because for me, there is one answer and one answer only, and it is the pit at 3 Lloyd Avenue. For those who remember, and Gabe, this may be gibberish to you, there was a basement at 3 Lloyd Avenue. And in this dingy basement was a sort of little elevated carpeted square. And I'm not sure how it got the name The Pit, since it was, in fact, elevated off the ground. But that's what it was called. And I remember many a childhood hour upon hour upon hour 
playing GI Joes and God knows what else down there. So yeah, for me, when I think about setups and, you know, really rolling up your sleeves and digging into playing and, and putting together a setup, for me, it's got to be the pit. Excellent answer, Dan, though you are uh, perhaps risking a little bit uh, by insulting the quality of my question as the moderator. So fortunately, you don't earn any points for the warm-up question. Not, not insulting, just acknowledging that for me, very easy to answer. That's all. I see you backpedaling there. I see that. I see what you're doing right there. Uh, Josh, Josh, what about you? So I thought a little bit more abstractly with my answer, and I'm going to say an end table slash coffee table situation. And I'm thinking specifically of a set of end tables that I believe is in Dan's apartment right now. These are rectangular two-story uh, tables, one maybe only about three inches or so off the ground, and the other, you know, this more standard like two feet uh, off the ground. Uh, and th so that hollowed out sort of space in the center was nice. You could get two levels of play going on. Um, and, and even just like, even if it wasn't those specifically, end tables, coffee tables, they usually have like doors with hinges. So you could hang an action figure off of there. It's usually next to a sofa so you, or a carpet, so you could have some terrain change there. So that is where my mind went to. The ideal spot for a setup is an end table. Very nice, very nice. Like that job, uh, Josh. My, my answer is, is slightly similar. Uh, for me specifically, and I I have a specific location in mind too, though I think any of these would really operate well. I believe one of the best areas for an ideal setup is a bay window. And I'm thinking specifically of the bay window kind of in the basement of our home at Three Marlin. Um, and part of what I think works so well about it, Josh, some things similar to what you were talking about with the end tables, you do have the multiple layers of play. You have the carpeted layer below the, the, you know, the sort of flat part of the bay window. But then you also have a little bit of indoor outdoor action potentially going on. You can have a little bit of, you know, your imagination going wild about whether it's whether it's you know the ice planet hoth or you know some place in middle earth that gabe could probably name for me right now uh but you have like the kind of the the multiple the multiple dimensions possible there uh so for me ideally and i remember many a setup being play being played there uh for me it is the bay window just to finally build on i think all the excellent points you uh play scholars have made because that you've all made the right point, but I think as far as I go, I think Dan is the closest in at least embodying what I think is the sole missing component that we've talked about so far, and that's kind of space. Enough space for you to play out your scenario how you want, and enough space that people aren't going to start walking over your toy vehicles if you're in the wrong part of the house. So for me, um, I think it's, you know, it's your childhood bedroom. It's um, depending on what bed you've got, but you guys, you guys nailed it. You need the levels. You need the different terrains. You need places for, you know, the good guys to go back and hide when it's like the Empire Strikes Back side and they don't exactly win this one. They got to convalesce in the corner by the dresser. Meanwhile, the bad guys, you know, are still on top of the bed ruling over the pillow because that's off the spot. Obviously, they're going to want to hang out there. So I think it's, it's your bedroom. You know, you can, you know, if it's a good enough setup too, to your point, Jordy, you know, you can probably just keep it there. No, it's not going to be in anybody's way. You can continue to play for even longer. Um, and, you know, it. If you're good, maybe even for uh, up to a week, I was going to say that is a, a generous uh, 
generous on your parents' part for sure. But yeah, it's it's your bedroom. I think that's the space where it's just you. It's just your playtime, just your figures. Gabe is certainly the master of his own domain, especially when it comes to play. Also, Gabe, your terminology for us as play scholars, I believe that might mean something else outside of the realm of Dork Fest, the podcast, but I am totally okay with, with taking on that terminology. It's scholars of play, sort of like hyphenated and reverse, that kind of a thing. Yeah, but I think you need to get a degree to be able to call it. Be called doctor that. of playtime? Yes, yes, doctor of playtime. Which that um, and, yeah. and PhD? Yeah, yeah. Is that is that the is that the working title for the sequel for uh, Doctor Strange? A little redundant, don't you think? <laughs> little bit, little bit, little <laughs> bit. Uh, well, well, excellent answers, all dorks. Um, love, love the little trips down memory lane there, and that's very much you know something that I'm looking forward in terms of this, in terms of this episode, because so much of the joy of play um, comes from those memories formed, whether you're playing just within your own imagination, within your own setups, but then also the parallel play going on. Uh, Gabe, I know you and I definitely had many instances of that, many cherished moments in our childhood, maybe even some, you know, positive sharing moments, probably plenty of non-positive sharing moments as we were younger. Uh, but, um, you know, that, that that's all the, the positivity that we'll have right now because we're going to be moving into our one-point question. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we're going to be going to Gabe with this one-point question. Gabe, for, for one point, what I'd like to know is what are some of the first toys that you remember playing with and really falling in love with? What, what kind of brought you into the toy playing realm? So I'm going to start off a little unorthodox because I think part of what we're going to find here is that a toy is kind of what you make of whatever it is. You know, it might be intended to be a toy. Sometimes you just, especially as a younger kid, find something. And there were a couple of things early on I remember getting fixated on, and y'all are going to laugh, but this is fairly on brand for me. Um, the first, like, imaginative play thing I kind of remember doing as a young kid is being Bilbo Baggins. Um, I've not been exposed to Lord of the Rings yet. Uh, there's a couple animated features about that at this point, but I've only seen the the original Hobbit one with um, John Huston as Gandalf and Orson Bean as, as Bilbo. I think that's how it goes. A few other good voices in there. Um, but yeah, I was fixated on the ring and sting. So I had, uh, I think my mom gave me this silver ring she had. Didn't matter that it wasn't gold. It was the one ring. I had it now. Here it was. That's what I was playing with. Um, and somewhere around the way, and I, I, we were like, I don't know, doing construction in our house or I found it in the basement. I don't know what it was, but it was this deep blue like PVC pipe. And I was like, oh, that's blue. That's sting this is going to be my sword now. And that was kind of what it was for a while. And I don't think I ever hit dad too hard about the knees with it as he was often the orc or golem chasing me, uh, bless him. But so that's sort of where I started um, is, is, you know, playing at that kind of stuff. After that, when it gets into actual like toy realms, and I realize I don't have to be playing with PVC pipes. There's like actual you know, toys out there. Um, that's when it moves into me for uh, like power, the earliest Power Ranger toys I remember are, um, it's the figures that had the flipping heads. I had a, a Red Ranger, at least, Jason. And it was, so the body was the same. It was the, it was the Red Ranger outfit, but only the, the head changed. So it was sort of like, see them in their secret identity. Only you can't. They're just taking their helmet off. It's still kind of obvious that this guy's the Red Power Ranger. But it came with accessories. That was always cool. Um, and the thing that really sort of topped it off at this point in my life early on is uh, Batman toys from Batman the Animated Series. That was sort of the next big – that was something I remember, like, wanting – being aware there are a lot of Batman toys out there and wanting as many of them as I could, you know, get my grubby little paws on, whether it was at a toy store at, you know, from a yard sale, from uh, a, you know, a toy show, like we would have gone to um, sometime later. 
it was all that kind of stuff. So for me, it was, there was a little bit of a collector aspect, but I really just wanted to play me some Batman. Gabe, I love that you have started with the imagination side of this because that reminds me of a story that I didn't really consider as part of this podcast until you just mentioned it. So I'm like two and a half years behind Dan and we were both really, really into GI Joe's. Uh, Jordan's like three years or so younger than me. So I think this would have been in a time where Jordan's probably like only, you know, two or three years old, probably not into playing with GI Joe's with us yet. And Dan really wanted to play with all of the cool GI Joe toys that we had. But I, at like five or six, I wanted to play GI Joe's us is what I called it. And I remember what my, you know, five-year-old brain considered to be an apocalyptic argument between Dan and I about whether we would play with G.I. Joe figures or G.I. Joe's us, which is what I wanted to play, where we run around in the backyard pretending to be G.I. Joe's, you know, pretending to drive the cool vehicles, fly the planes, pretending to shoot the little blaster guns that never actually hit anything. That, that imagination piece is such a key part of the toys that you don't even necessarily own when you're at your, when you're at your youngest. Um, growing up slightly, um, in terms of like actual toys that I remember being totally obsessed with, didn't take me too long to get super into the GI Joe toys, uh, GI Joe, the general, I think I've mentioned before on this podcast, that was one of my favorites. I'm also just thinking back to like other memories at that Lloyd Avenue house that Dan, uh, described basically like that's my cutoff point of like what's what's you know early childhood for me and what's more middle childhood and the the two things that came to mind most of all as like actual physical things that I loved playing with were a wiffle ball and a rubber ball um Dan Jordan and I would play a ton of wiffle ball in the backyard and we would have this pink rubber ball that we would throw against the wall it was the out exterior wall of our garage. We spent hours chucking this rubber ball up against the up against the wall, breaking a few windows in the process. Um, but those were some of the early like actual physical toys that I remember being totally obsessed with. Josh, as soon as you mentioned the rubber ball, my mind just went to pink, and then went to the oh darn it moment when that, you have to. That feeling in the pit of your stomach yep. that the world is about to end the and ball, it's my yep, fault. Yep, the ball just went through the window and now, you know, you got a tuck tail here and go inside and fess up to the fact that yet another window is broken. There was once, I forget who threw it, but it went through the garage window or, or I guess it was a, it was like a shed and then the shed door opened and then it went and then there was a carport on the other side. So Correct. it went through the shed but, window. But the, car, the carport door, the shed through door the was open. Door, through the open shed door and then broke the glass of it, the kitchen door Correct. that was on the other side of yep. the carport. So it was two windows with was a one two, throw. Yep, it was a two for one. But you're right. We, we wore out that wall. Uh, sometimes by ourselves and sometimes we would, you know, concoct like double play games where you'd have to like turn two real quick off, off that wall. I'm glad you mentioned the, the wiffle ball too, because when Gabe was talking about the imagination component, and this isn't necessarily like, I'll, I'll get to the, the early stuff in, in just a moment, but it reminded me of the imagination part of uh, having home run derbies in, in the backyard. And we would, I mean, we became experts in early to mid to late 90s baseball player batting stances and being able to hit 
home runs, you know, as those guys. But when I, when I started thinking about this, the, the first toy that I kind of remember really setting up and digging into and playing with were just simple wooden blocks. And every kid has them. We had this, this great set of varying shapes and sizes. And, and the great thing about those were, you know, when you're real little, you can build, you know, rather, you know, simple things, even just stack them. And then as you get older, you can build more elaborate displays and have them be part of your setup and then incorporate your other toys with them. So, I mean, just, yeah, a, a simple set of, of wooden blocks, you know, the, the, the gift that kind of keeps on giving there. And, and then to kind of transition that into like actual toys, like action figures, um, to, I mean, just, just two kind of, you know, quick notes. He-Man was the first one for me. I remember distinctly in the, in the early to mid eighties being a, a He-Man guy, you know, He-Man and Skeletor. And I'll admit I, I had to, I did a little bit of research because I wanted to look up some of these names, Trap Jaw and Man E Faces. That was the guy whose head spun around and he had three different three different expressions. Uh, Moss Man was another one of my favorites. Just this this like swamp creature that was made out of this this mossy material. And we had the Dragon Walker, and that was one you put He Man in it. It was kind of motorized, so like the head would move across the, the long body and then the body would whip around in front of the head and then the head would move back and it was kind of, you know, kind of moved itself along. So He-Man was the first one. And, and I mean, G.I. Joe, we'll talk more about like, I'm going to talk more G.I. Joe later when we talk about like all-time favorites. But I have this very distinct memory of dad one time coming home with the Cobra Fang helicopter. And it was awesome. Just this little like one man copper. It's got missiles on the side and a little like gun kind of turret in the front. And one guy can sit in it and it's got the little handle for him to, you know, steer the helicopter. No figures included though. So I got this, this cool copper. We ended up driving to, I, I swear to goodness, it was a grocery store or a drug store. Cause like, I didn't care. I don't care who drives it. I just need somebody to drive it. And I remember coming home with a Cobra Viper, the guy with the, the silver kind of gray shield and the blue and the red body armor. And like, that's my first kind of distinct memory of like going to a store, like purchasing like combo GI Joe. And, and that was like, that was my thing. Um, so yeah, th those are kind of the ones that kind of really at first sort of got me started. Dan, when you were talking about the wooden blocks, that made me think, uh, I actually hadn't thought of it until you mentioned it, but another one of my early childhood toys were similarly wooden and kind of blockish, though they were more logs. They were the Lincoln logs. Um, and I believe that there is a home video somewhere where I receive a bin of Lincoln logs and open up the, uh, I'm getting to that, I'm getting to that, Josh, open up the bin, pull out the bag, and exclaim, bag with stuff, or something along those lines. I'm, I'm, I have no doubt that I'm going to be corrected here in a moment by Dan. It's, it's actually, it, it's, it's even cuter than that. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll find the video, and I'll, I'll post it to our Instagram, because this, this is too good to be true. Yeah, it's Jordan's birthday, and... Wasn't it, wasn't it Tinker Toys? It, it been, definitely it had right. Lincoln right. logs. Yeah, it might, it might, have, it time, might have been Tinker Toys. I think this toys. video was Tinker Toys. But the lid comes off and it's like a little bag. And it and took us an hour to get the lid off. He just <laughs> exclaims, 
stuff in a bag. <laughs> like it didn't matter what it was. It just mattered that there was a bag and there was stuff in it. And that was amazing. And at some point I was going to open up said bag and would have the stuff that was inside of it. Um, but you know, it's just funny how like we're starting to talk about these and, and each of these different childhood toys kind of activate your own memories, which then activate subsequent memories and the other dorks. It's really, really, really just fantastic. In terms of the action figures too, just kind of the earliest ones, um, Gabe, like you, I was big into Power Rangers. Um, and specifically, I guess one of the first memories that I have, um, not so much an action figure, but actually um, more of a setup, um, was the actual one, and, and unfortunately I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but the, the, the home base for the Power Rangers, where you had Zordon and that big tube. And I specifically remember it was kind of, you know, it was curved in nature, uh, but yeah. I remember getting command, that for one year. Command Center. Yeah, the command center. Yeah, the command center. Uh, but I remember, I remember getting that, that for one year. And that was another one where it was like how close the, the accuracy feature, feature, which I think, you know, we're going to talk about some of the different things that, that make toys great. But one of them, I think, in certain degrees, is the accuracy of how much it looks like the thing that you see in the television show or in the comic book or in the movie. And that was definitely one for me where I felt like, okay, I can play with these figurines and feel like I'm in the television show that I love so much. Excellent, excellent answers all, dorks. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to, to pick just one of you to award this one point to. And I'm not going to split up into thirds. That's just totally ridiculous. No, no dork in their right mind would ever do something like that. Uh, but I mean, Dan, you, Dan, I love when you were talking about the home run derbies because that was something I have so many fond memories of that. I didn't immediately think about it when we think about toys, but definitely an excellent observation that you make there. Um, Josh, always love that story about G.I. Joe's Us. Um, I, I have a feeling that you probably lost that apocalyptic debate. Uh, but, you know, as we know, number one um, always wins. Although number one will not be winning the one point question because that point is going to be going to my fellow cousin in destiny, Gabe. Um, and Gabe, specifically, it goes to you for really the first point that you made. We could have stopped that, that question very, very early on in terms of pointage. Um, but you made the point about toys being whatever we make of them. Um, loved your point about the PVC pipe as Sting. Um, on that same note, I have a bamboo stick in my backyard. So if you want to use that as Gandalf staff, you just let me know you the next time you're up here. It's all yours. Free of charge. Uh, but, but Gabe, in all seriousness, just love the point that you made there about, you know, the imaginative power of toys and how them and, and really them just being, you know, whatever we're able to make out of them. So Gabe, one point to you. Congratulations, sir. And thank you, sir, in return. And I'll just pat us all on the back real quick here and say, uh, yes, play, Mr. Jordan. The more complex the mind, the greater the need for the simplicity of play. There's one of those dorky quips that we were looking for. Excellent, excellent. So we're going to be moving on to our second point question now. Um, as Dan, no, no doubt, is thinking this is going to be the meat of the episode. Um, but, but we're going to be going to Josh first. And Josh, I'd like you and then the rest of the dorks to let us know, what are the toys that made us dorks? So what are your all-time favorite? The ones that would be going up on that top shelf, what are the all-time dork toys josh you go first it's not dorky it's really not even like 
sentimental doesn't even begin to describe it. My favorite toy of all time is Baby Bear. Um, this was the teddy bear that was given to me by our Uncle Mike when I was one year old, and I was attached to this thing far longer than any person should be attached to a stuffed animal. But I just love this thing. Um, and yeah, so like he, he's in a category of his own and he's still at Three Marlin Drive in, in the attic or under a bed somewhere. Um, uh, so, you know, he's, he's, like I said, he's in a category all his own. In terms of like the cooler toys that I would like show my friends, um, when I finally made some, um, one of the first franchises that I feel like I was organically obsessed with, like not like I didn't love it because Dan was playing with it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I remember playing the heck out of those four little guys at Splinter and Shredder and Bebop and Rocksteady. And I remember one birthday in particular of Jordan's where he got this like, Ninja Turtle helicopter, which wasn't even like in the show or anything, but I was so insanely jealous that he got this thing and I wanted it. And it's my favorite. Ninja Turtles is my thing. I was so ticked that, that he got it. But Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was, I, was one of those first things that I felt like was organically mine. I loved G.I. Joe's a ton. I loved Star Wars and Star Trek a ton. We've talked about all that stuff a lot. Um, Ninja Turtles is kind of the place that, that I spent a lot of time that we haven't talked about yet. The other is baseball cards. Um, Dan Jordan and I spent hours upon hours as kids collecting, trading, organizing, reorganizing baseball cards. Um, 89 and 92 upper deck were particularly great years. 90 leaf, uh, 97 Bowman, we got a Jose Cruz Jr. rookie card. That was a particularly cool moment. And the, But my all-time favorite card is uh, 1997, the Skybox Boss series. Uh, you know, there was only about 12 or so cards. They, they were a special insert. Um, and so that was probably my all-time favorite. But baseball cards, we spent a ton of time playing with them as kids. A ton of time and a ton of money. <laughs> But but it was but it was fun like and that's that's the whole whole point it's it's entertainment and I mean you know Josh is rattling off these years of baseball cards you know he says 1990 Leaf I know exactly what that looks like he says 92 Upper Deck I know exactly what that looks like you know these are and those I mean those are pivotal years for us we were like in the throes of of baseball fandom uh, at that time and and. Josh is right. I mean, yeah, we co correct collecting, organizing, reorganizing, trading, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, baseball cards was a huge part of our of our childhood. I'm going to I'm just going to piggyback off the baseball vibe and and just sort of echo Josh's sentiments that he made in the one point question and and talk about starting lineups for a little while because these were the Josh said it, these are action figures of our sports heroes. So we were in love with G.I. Joes and Transformers and, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because they were action figures. And now all of a sudden you're saying, no, wait, no, <laughs> now wait just a GD second here because <laughs> you're telling me that we can go to the store and we can get Ken Griffey Jr. as an action figure. 
moreover, you're telling me you're going to make a new one every single year and the poses are going to get different and they're going to get a little more elaborate and a little more intricate. Like this is almost too good to be true. So, I mean, I, I still have my jumping the gun here a little bit, but I still have my Ken Griffey Jr. starting lineup collection. I, I got every single one that they made um, in, in, the, in the late, well, it would have been basically in the 90s. I still have all, have all of those. I, I even still have some of my original, like, original run. I, I have an Ozzie Smith where he's, like, backhanding a ground ball in the hole, and I have my Oral Hershiser where he's just about to deliver the deliver the pitch. I was a big Dodgers fan in the late 80s when the Phillies were no good. So, I mean, those guys were, and they were the same kind of deal. Like we would collect them. We would play with them. Setups. We were big into the setups and, and with the starting lineups, they had a little bit of articulation, but not a whole lot. Um, And then, I mean, it started starting lineups, baseball figures for us, but it branched out into hockey and football. And so we have, you know, a whole whack of these characters across a whole bunch of different sports. So that, I mean, yeah, those are all timers for sure for me. And and then, um, you know, the other one I'll just mention right out of the shoot has to be G.I. Joe. I mentioned my my Cobra Fang and and Cobra Viper memory, and, and that was really just the tip of the iceberg, you know, love the cartoon show. So many cool characters in terms of personality and look in the cartoon and, and so well brought to life, brought to quote unquote life in, in terms of action figures, but we would then bring them to life. We would carry over their personalities or, or things we would watch them do in the show that they didn't do. And we thought, boy, wouldn't it be cool if, lifeline did this or wouldn't it be cool if all of a sudden zamot and tomax were turned to the good side or you know whatever it may be like we could we could bring those characters to life and i mean just so many cool ones i i could go on and on i'll I'll name a few snake eyes specifically the 1985 version of snake eyes that was the one that we had um with the little dog and then a whole slew of other weapon weaponry Flint and Alpine and Bazooka and Barbecue and Dial Tone on the good guy side and the bad guys, they were just as cool. Uh, the Televiper, the Bats, when they had the robots where you could interchange the hands and they had the backpack with all the, the different accessories on there. Uh, the Evil Twins, I mentioned Zamot and Tomax and Josh. I know you're a big Dreadnoughts guy. Uh, those were so cool. And then the vehicles. I mean, like the figures were one thing and then the vehicles were, were a whole different ball game. I have a very distinct memory of the Snowcat living on one of those shelves, not Josh's, Josh's shelf at Three Marlin, but the basement of the, of the old house. We had these little shelves that were kind of hung on the wall of the basement and the snowcat, I remember the snowcat being there. It was just, it was so realistic. It had that clear, you know, windshield kind of cockpit area. It even had a windshield wiper on it. So that when in the snowy terrain, you just brush the snow away. It had the missiles, the missile launchers in, in the back. Um, there was the Cobra Stun vehicle with the two cockpits for the two guys. And then it, would, it could split out in the front to like shoot in different directions. Um, the, the Tomahawk, the, the big like troop carrier helicopter, uh, just so many cool vehicles, so many cool figures. Uh, G.I. Joe, in terms of like an action figure toy standpoint, that, that's got to be number one all time for me. While we're speaking of you know stuff from the '80s and and uh, 
maybe some early 90s on that. I'm not exactly sure how far the G.I. Joe thing went, but I'll respond to Josh's turtle figures. Um, I knew a little bit on, on the G.I. Joe, and I while I missed out on some of the nostalgia there, it's in full effect for me on Josh's uh, turtle figures, both from the animated show, which had a bunch of wild and crazy, you know, like character and creature options and stuff like that. I remember, I think there was even like a pizza launcher and stuff like that. You could, you could load, you know, this plastic orange pepperoni pizza and just blast your opponents with food. Cause you know, that's what you do on nineties cartoons. Um, but also later the, uh, specifically from the third Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, the one where they go back in time, uh, in Japan and they're, they have like the samurai armor and masks and there, I had a couple of figures from there and that was, so I think I did have four turtles at one time, but they were not from the same like era of toy lines there. I had like the Donatello from TMNT three and like the Leo from the cartoon and, and other stuff like that. Um, that is kind of really a golden age of, of toys. I was talking to my dad about this sort of in preparation for this podcast. I, I don't really know. and I'm going to rely on the people with young children here to sort of answer this question, but I don't really know what the status of toys, the way that we had it is for kids these days, but at risk of, you know, sounding like a terribly old man, which given I do feel like, but like we had action figures, we had, yeah, you know, we'll bring up board games. We had all this sports stuff, but there was, I feel like the action figure thing, the, the props thing, I, I had a bunch of toy blasters and phasers and ships and all that. And I'm sure that's still out there, but it doesn't seem to be as prevalent anymore. I mean, I think we're talking about sort of the, the, we're talking about the, the burning out rather than fading away of, of the, you know, little kid toy industry. I don't know. It's definitely still around, you know, um, you know, the, the toy aisle at target is still fully stocked. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's one or two aisles, you know, you don't have, you know, your toys R us, which is, you know, bikes, trains, video games, every toy there is, you know, it's, there's nothing really like that all over the place now. My kids are really into Pokemon right now, and Pokemon is making like some legitimately cool toys that that I think in, in design are are pretty neat. The only other thing that my kids have been super into that we've been able to find like a bunch of toys and accessories um, that they're kind of like keep churning out, like they did, you know, multiple versions of like GI Joe stuff, like. Like, Dan, you talked about how you'd get a new Ken Griffey Jr. every year. You, you could count on some new, like, Cobras, uh, you know, every every couple years or so, just with a different paint job. Um, Paw Patrol is doing that now, where it's now it's, you know, this person, this character gets an ultra super truck. And then, then we do the same thing next year for this character. And then we bring in, there's the secret realm of dinosaurs. And so then we're going to equip everybody with dinosaur vehicles and, and go off doing that, the, the sort of dinobots of the Paw Patrol universe. So it, it, it still exists, but it's definitely on a smaller scale. I definitely feel like we grew up in the golden era of, of action figures. Yeah, I feel like you can go online and, and search, you know, Toys R Us, Star Wars aisle and get one of those those moments in time where, where somebody's got the picture of, of the entire aisle at Toys R Us just filled with mint on card Star Wars vintage action figures, which would is basically the equivalent of, you know, the, the gold vault at Fort Knox these days. Because it, it see, like, I do not have children, 
But I will fully admit that like when I go to Target occasionally, I will pass through the toy aisle because first of all, why the hell not? And second of all, there might be something that I want. And there often isn't because I feel like now, like, like they still make Star Wars toys, right? They, they've, I feel like they've started making these, yeah. uh, like the Black series of Star Wars. They're like larger characters. They're more accurate. They're more articulate. But then they also make the, the smaller kind of like G.I. Joe size, like three and three quarter inch Star Wars characters. They, they kind of make them on the old vintage looking cards. But now they're like, it's like they're so collectible now that they only release, you know, every target gets six of them. And when they're gone, they're gone and, and that's it. So like to your point, you know, Gabe and Josh, it kind of feels like, yeah, like the, the day and age of, I don't know, mass produced quantities of these things maybe just doesn't exist anymore because maybe, you know, kids nowadays don't give a hoot in the hell about a Star Wars character and they're making them for, you know, the 40 year old with disposable income and turn it into a collectible thing, which I, I just think is, is kind of a shame. Um, but, but I mean, yeah, they are, they are technically still out there, I guess. I think there is one brand that was churning out a bunch of stuff when we were kids that I'm sure we all played with a bunch that is still going very strong today. And that's Legos. Legos I'm sure we all, you know, we all have, you know, the buckets of Legos that you could build yourself, but then you also could get, you know, the specific box and you, you know, follow the directions and build one specific thing. Legos are still doing that today. And my kids are are pretty darn into that. So that's really cool for me now to play with Legos. Legos, I think, are probably still one of the great toy inventions ever. Um, and the smart thing that Lego did to keep around that I think they resisted doing for the longest time, because the one thing, yeah, we had the bucket of Legos. My, I, Legos were an early, early toy for me, and it was just those primary color geometric blocks. You know, they might as well have been Lincoln Logs in, you know, that same kind of mass-produced way. Um, but then, you know, yeah, you, you, and you've got some of the other, uh, you've got the rocket ship, you've got some other things, and then eventually Lego starts doing those branded sets. So you buy the, you know, the Lego X-Wing, the Lego Millennium Falcon, the Lego, you know, a Lego plate, even, even the small ones. You know, you could get just like a little Lego speeder bike, um, a little Lego land speeder. Eventually, all of these things get their own sort of Lego sets, whether micro or macro. Um, and it's just interesting that that's how, the, I think we all played with mostly, I mean, how many pre-built sets did you guys have? For me, it was just like, I was building my Batman vehicles, but it was just whatever I was thinking up at the time like oh he needs a jet that needs these two things that look like lasers so they'll be lasers and this will be where he sits and you know it was different every time but that was how i went about that yeah gabe I mean, we we had the red tub where all the miscellaneous pieces go in there we had that and then we had a yellow sort of like briefcase, briefcase that like yeah. clipped and, and opened and that's where all the miscellaneous pieces would go I, I mean i do remember you know we probably got some of those you know build a generic rocket ship or space cruiser you know kind of set which they do still make those now but you're right yeah. it's it's largely i mean like you know if target's got an aisle and a half dedicated to legos one full aisle is franchised Legos. It's Marvel, it's Jurassic Park, it's Star Wars. Um, but by all accounts, it does sound like those partnerships, which were originally, as you said, resisted, in the end, those saved Lego. And and now it's it's booming the likes of which I don't know that it, it ever has, but, but Lego was in real trouble 
uh, by all accounts, until though until they started down that road. And initially, they started with Star Wars, and that failed. The, the first run of that bombed, and and then they they revisited it, and and it hit. And then obviously, yeah, Harry Potter and Marvel and and everything under the sun, and and now Lego is, and and now they're. They're packaging it they're and, and, they're, and they're slapping it on a plastic lunchbox and they're selling it. They're selling it. Well, and I guess that's just kind of an interesting, I, I guess guys in the, it's like sort of the wrap up lesson at the end of the show here. It's not, but I guess I see a little bit of us in Lego, huh guys? You know, in the end, what, I mean, it's these, it's these franchise things. It's the, it's the nostalgia pull that brings us back. I mean, yeah, it's, it's toys for adults. There is kind of, I guess part of what we're talking about here is kind of a fracturing of the toy audience and a moving on of a substantial part of it too, because I mean, this is probably truer as kids get older these days. Um, the new toys are electronics. It's the phones. It's, you know, it's the, or game systems, depending on how far you want to push that as well. But I mean, tablets, that whole kind of thing that, um, that's something that I think took up a lot of time that otherwise would have been, and it's not to say it's not playtime, but it's just a different kind of a playtime. So toys couldn't keep up. Um, and it's just interesting too, that what, I mean, we're the people that keep, as you said, Dan, maybe we're going to want something when we wander through the target aisle. I do exactly the same thing now and again. It's like, oh, what do these Pokemon cards look like these days? I'm right there with your kids on that one, Josh. Um, it's just interesting that, you know, because the difference for us, I guess, at least, is that at the end of the day, we used the toys we had from these things to inform the rest of our play. Like, you were playing G.I. Joe, Dan, but you, were making, you weren't, like, reenacting episodes, or maybe you were using that as a jumping-off point. I mean, you took these things... Um, and then, you know, you move beyond the intent of the toy. You know, we get to use these things to then inform our own creative play. You get to play, you know, I don't know if you guys ever did that, but crossovers were always a lot of fun. You know, you maybe had a couple of uh, TMNT villains in Gotham City for a little bit, and they got a, a bit of a taste of the Batmobile, the one we discussed earlier on with that cool pullout jet, because that thing was really great. It's all fascinating, isn't it? Spock had it right. Well, and Gabe, I think you make such an interesting point about you know, the, I think it's unavoidable to talk about the, the the technological aspect of play for kids these days, where like, even if you put, you talked a little bit about video games, like even if you factor that in as technological play for us, well, you know, we were all quite a bit older before we got access to many di different video game consoles. And even that, like the quality of the video games, sort of prohibited the play where it was or maybe not even arguably it was definitely more fun to play with the action figures to play with the legos or, um or in large part yeah. in large part because of what you just said right like i think what you're kind of talking about there is the the narrative story building that went into play it wasn't just as you said about reenacting the episodes but it was about creating a story with the toys that you that were in front of you right like it, it's as if the the setup the you know the location of the setup is the page and and the characters and the action figures that you're using are you know that, that that's the pen or the pencil that you're using to write your story on that page um and, and to that point too i do wonder if you know I, I think about the number of shows that are on Disney Plus now, um, the number of different movies that you're getting. I do wonder if in terms of the, the narrative story building, I wonder if there's a bit of oversaturation in terms of we're cranking out story after story after story after story for each of these different franchises to the point where 
you don't necessarily feel as engaged to create your own story because you can flick, you know, flip on Disney Plus and see, you know, what's the most recent episode of Falcon and Winter, Winter Soldier or, you know, Loki, which is going to be coming out here in a couple of days. So I do wonder if like, and on, on a different level, I, I I like that there are all of those different aspects. I, I, I like that these franchises are moving in that television show route. Um, but I do wonder, it, it, is there an interplay there with the actual playing of toys? Um, is there a potential interaction going on there? Well, you know, you're using writing metaphors and you're dropping the names of a lot of things I like, like Falcon and Winter Soldier and Loki. So I hate to say that I'm, I'm only, I think I'm going to agree more with your latter point. I'm not going to disagree with you. It's two cousins, one destiny. We're not going to violate that trust still. Because I guess it, I was, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want us to be the fuddy-duddies yet. I know we have those proclivities, and I'm just going to try and hold us back across that tug-of-war line a little longer as far as best I can. Um, That's a good idea. And I don't, you know, I know I insinuated uh, earlier, you know, I'm not trying to suggest, I guess, that, you know, kids today aren't playing like we did when we Things change. You know, that's going to have to be it. And I'm, I don't mean to extol the virtues of, you know, as Paw Patrol is doing now and as, uh, you know, Power Rangers would have done back in the day of reinventing yourself year after year to make sure that kids keep buying your toys. And that's the reason half these things we like exist in the first place was toy merchandise. That's what good old George Lucas figured out. Um, I'd also, I guess I'd like to say that the availability of content now and the readily, readily available, the readily available nature of content kind of just means that ideally anybody can find the thing that inspires them to do their own play. You know, kids can find Frozen and all that various media. And, you know, there's Frozen shorts and all this other kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, cool. They've got their whole world of, what is it, Ellen, Ellendale? Ellen? Arendelle. Arendelle. Something, yeah. Some guy named Arendelle. I don't remember. But, you know, and now they've got all this other stuff. If they are fans, they can keep informing their own world and, you know, make more stuff up off of their auxiliary stuff. You know, all the Star Trek episodes we watched, I mean, if we did miss one, wouldn't matter. We'd have 15 more in our head built from pieces and things we wanted to see from other ones. So, yeah, it's, I, don't, I don't want us to be alarmist. I, I guess it's, uh, it's our job to, you know, study and observe and not, uh, not interfere with non-dorky affairs. I, I think that's a good point. You know, I use the term oversaturation, which I think you're probably right. It's more the optionality that's provided amongst all these different franchises and to your point also the the easy access to it that you're not necessarily kind of shoehorned into different franchises you have more optionality you have more choices across the board i didn't mean to make this uh you know such a, a real serious podcast about toys uh, yeah, here can today. we just go back to listing cool stuff again please <laughs> sorry yeah I, to, uh, I, I have a vivid memory of our dad's having a very similar conversation when we were kids about how like <laughs> oh, these, these video games, we had such gr greater playing, you know, playing with our, you know, warriors of the world action figures oh, than these boy. kids with their video games. Well, there it is, boys. We've become our fathers. Yeah, it's, it was inevitable. Um, and, and the proof of ours is, is uh, now going to be on the internet for everyone to see. Yeah, well, that was uh, our mistake, I guess. Mine in particular. That said, the uh, the little men setups are the stuff of legend, and um, I definitely, as just to return to the toy bit, that was something I got into myself. Was these sort of like military setups that in the end I had these like RC toy tanks, some little art, spring loaded artillery guys that would follow these uh, fire these little plastic pellets, um, and you know I'm sure these are guys from all kinds of armies of the world fighting you know like my five golden knights that i was given when i was a kid you know so 
kind of anachronistic. Doesn't always make sense. But again, that's the fun of it. Did you guys ever do the like Dan? Did the did any of the Star Trek guys ever meet the GI Joe guys? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I yeah, I, I distinctly yeah, and I distinctly remember when we had a real big stash of Star Trek characters. Um, th th this was, I mean, this is another great line of figures that we've got to spend a minute talking about because um, when Star Trek The Next Generation came out, there was that initial wave of action figures and vehicles, the real little ones that they made based on like season one or season two. And they made the original crew and they made four aliens, right? They made Q and a Ferengi and the Antican and the Sele, and they released a shuttlecraft, which was actually really cool, and then the Ferengi Marauder. Um, and that we got those for Christmas, and that was cool because that was all that's all there was. Um, but then eventually they released larger versions of next generation characters, and then they started delving deeper into like this random alien from a random season three episode. They would make him. And the next thing you knew, they were making original series characters and General Chang and Khan, they had a whole movie version in Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Like eventually we had a whole big stash of these characters. And true to form, um, we would have drafts where we would pick. Okay, like, I, you know, I pick first and I'll take Lore because uh, he's going to be my, I remember distinctly Lore was like my main bad guy. But like whoever else I got after that was like subservient to him. He was like the brainchild of like whatever evil scheme was going on here. But we would like draft these different characters. And to your point, Gabe, like we make up whatever story we wanted. And maybe it was contingent upon like what characters we got on any given day. Like that's the direction that the story went. But um, yeah, like, like why not combine characters? And then like, oh, my surface terrain here in the bedroom is, is no bueno. That's okay. I'll get the blocks and I'll create whatever like evil base, you know, lore had intended. So like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, the fun of it, I—I I mean, for me, I think Klingon Warrior Wharf was my go-to for the next-gen figures, and the, the the ships that they made later on were particularly cool. Dan, too. I know you really love and have a fond memory of the Romulan Warbird that that I got for Christmas. I still year. have the welt on the back of my head. When Josh dropped it nose first. And anybody who knows the Romulan Warbird from Next Gen, that is a pointy schnoz. And it went right in the back of my head. And that's on film, too. That's that's on an old camcorder video somewhere. And Accidentally, need, to be sure. Needless to say, Dan, super soft Dan, uh, did not rally all too quickly from having the Warbird dropped on his head. I think if we're gonna be if we're gonna be posting that video of me with the uh, the Tinker Toys, I, I believe maybe Dan, you have to unearth that video and post that on on uh, Instagram at Dorkfest underscore podcast. We'll see if we can find it. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Um, I, I believe you know. Thinking about those drafts, I I always remember being fond of selecting um, Lacutus of Borg. I especially loved him because. And they did this with many of the Borgs, but I remember, especially with the cutest, you had a lot of different options. You could, you know, detach the arm and, and, and add on different tools or different weapons. Um, and I just remember, you know, that. And, and also with those toys, you know, that's when you started to get into, 
you know, the, the more kind of mobile toys, the more, you know, they weren't as rigid as, especially that, that first round of Star Trek toys, Dan, that you were referring to, not nearly as rigid as that. And obviously, you know, that, that continues on. I think, you know, in terms of like the most, um, or maybe the, the least rigid characters or least rigid action figures that I ever played with, um, the Lord of the Rings toys that came out just as the movies were coming out, those were really, really well-made toys where you could, you know, kind of put them into a lot of different positions, which was very helpful when it came to the prolonged setups that might stay up for weeks at, week, weeks at a time. Uh, articulation, Jordy, is, is the toy word that you're looking for there when uh, determining the flexibility or not of your action figures. I'll let Gabe comment on, on the Lord of the Rings figures. I just want to circle back on the Star Trek characters because they did not start out so articulated. It took them like a series or two to figure out that actually if you cup the hand, then they can actually hold the phaser as opposed to a flat hand that they then needed to attach like a rectangle onto the phaser to slide it in. It was so stupid, but whatever. They figured it out eventually. The ships were cool. The only problem with the ships were you couldn't put the characters in in those larger ships. So I really like the shuttlecraft where you could actually like have a pilot and have a crew in there. But the bridge setup to me was, was always the coolest one because you could, you had your entire bridge crew, the little, you know, the navigation, the two front consoles, the panels would swivel out. You could slide your little characters in there. And, and even at the back at the science station, the, you know, the pods, you know, slid out so you could slide people into those back stations and the doors. There was a little lever at the top so you could kind of slide them open as characters came and went, you know, off the bridge. So that that was always, I thought, the best of, of the next gen sort of play, slat, play set slash vehicle option. They had an engineering one of those too, didn't they? If I remember correctly, the, the warp core could explode. Yeah, they, they did, but they only released it, I think, in conjunction with Generations. So I, like, I want to I say it's not the next-gen engineering look, that it's like the movie look. So it's, a, you know, it's, they may have done both. I, I, I distinctly remember the Generations one specifically. Perhaps one of the only good things to come out of that movie. That and Mr. Tricorder. Life for well and actually i definitely shouldn't say that because two cousins one destiny came out of that movie that's certainly the best thing to have come that out is of that a good movie. Point. far and away that's the best thing to come out of that movie yes sounds like fun if anyone doesn't know the tagline to that movie is two captains one destiny and so that's where we that's where we get that yeah that, that's what this weird two cousins one <laughs> destiny joke that we've made like a dozen times over right. 20 some odd episodes in case anyone didn't know <laughs> No, Dan, the, the, Star, the Star Trek figures, rather, are kind of an interesting oddity. Um, I think they switch manufacturers a, a few times. Um, and so you do sort of get different versions from, of, like, the different eras. I, as you were talking about the shuttlecraft, I remember I had a shuttlecraft Galileo. That was a lot of fun to play. You could fit the guys in there. It had, a, um, like, a phaser pod you could, uh, that, you know, you could mount outside in case you had to tackle um, Gary Mitchell. Although what really made me the best ship – the best single ship, because I, I had a lot of ships too, and they had some of the electronic ones, a lot of the, you know, the light-up things and all that, they were great. But the best single ship I ever got was probably the Micro Machines Millennium Falcon Star Wars set. That thing had like the interior cross-section of the Millennium Falcon on one half, and then it was like a hangar bay on the back half. Completely implausible for the Millennium Falcon's like 
just structure and blueprint, but made for a great place to, as you say, have a base, have another spot for the characters to convene. Um, and yeah, there was the micro machines line is maybe the only thing we haven't really mentioned here. I just wanted to make sure it got a shout out because that was just an excellent line of toys. Well, Dork, so far this definitely meets the uh, what what I was hoping to see in terms of some of your all time favorites. Uh, we'll be moving to the three point question here in a moment to hear about you know your your current or maybe still held on to toys. Uh, before that, though, just like to go around the horn one more time, some rapid fire um, toy suggestions, uh, you know, just some other ones that, you know, you just want to make sure get a quick shout out uh, before we move on to this three point question. Um, Josh, going to go to you first. So I just have two. Um, I had a lot of X-Men toys for like a year or two. And one that was really cool was the Sentinel and what made it cool. We've talked about like size and scale being an issue. Sentinels were actually like three or four times the size of like a, the normal X-Men. Uh, and this toy was proper to scale. So I always found that very, very cool. Um, the other like really silly toy that I remember from when I was a kid that I, that I know Dan remembers this, that we always loved were barnyard commandos. These are farm animals with weapons of war that would be attached to them. Think of like a goat with a machine gun or a bull with a battering ram, completely absurd. Uh, but yeah, barnyard commandos, Google image search, you, you'll get a kick out of it. They sound awesome. I can't wait to look this up later. Yeah, there was also a cartoon, I believe, that went with that. And Gabe, just to, because I had actually jotted down Barnyard Commandos as well. So Gabe, I'm just going to give you three names that'll kind of hopefully tickle your fancy here a little bit. Commodore Fleece Cardigan, General Ham Fat Lardo, and Private Sido Bacon. Private Sido Bacon and and we got a ham fat lardo in there. Okay, I'm. That's general to you, sir. Uh, well, I'll be generally looking this up tonight. I think. <laughs> uh, I will just because because I had mentioned uh, that I jotted down barnyard commandos. I'll go rapid fire real quick first. Um, have to give a shout out to the vintage Millennium Falcon, which we did have. Obviously, very cool. You lift the lid off the whole like innards playset. That whole deal was phenomenal. Batman the Animated Series, I had mentioned Combat Belt Batman in a previous podcast, so that's one. My other favorite Batman the Animated Series action figure, though, has to be Mr. Freeze, so shout out there. I'm also going to give some love to GoBots. Uh, most, GoBots was the transforming robot vehicles toy franchise that lost to Transformers. Um, a couple of the early ones were Psykill, which was this like bicycle that would transform into a into a robot, and then Copter, which is a helicopter that also turned into a robot. They were ridiculous, but I distinctly remember having at least those two. And the only other one that I'm going to throw out, Darkwing Duck. I went through a Darkwing Duck action figure phase where I had Darkwing and Launchpad McQuack couple of the villains in, in Megavolt and Bushroot. So I went through a Darkwing Duck phase and, and enjoyed those action figures. So uh, I, I thought those were pretty good as well. This is amazing. And right now I'm just thinking about the GoBot Barnyard Commandos inevitable mashup that must have occurred. And that had to be a dark day for the toy chest. Um, just to round out my own rapid fires, I mentioned my own Millennium Falcon, the 
uh, the Micro Machines one. I, I mentioned I had a, a, a whole armory of, you know, electronic toy blasters and phasers and stuff like that. Uh, the favorites there probably being I had a Han Solo blaster, except it was the kind where, you know, perhaps understandably, uh, everybody got very concerned that all these kids were running around with guns painted black. So it's that like orange, bright neon camouflage color that was always kind of fun. Um, and I had a Star Trek six phaser with the batteries and the power pack at the bottom. And you could actually, you know, rack the slide of the phaser to, you know, get it from stun to whatever else, depending on what kind of missions you were running with some gravity boots. Uh, for my Batman, the animated series, I'd mentioned the Batmobile too. And there's, uh, there's so many great ones there, but I got to go with another vehicle that I just thought was really cool and had never seen, it was never part of the show, sadly, but it was called the Aerobat. It was like a very tiny jet that was almost more seemingly like reminiscent of what Christopher Nolan would do in The Dark Knight uh, Rises, his final film there, a much sort of tighter uh, jet there, but it had a, a spring, it had a missile, which is always cool, spring-loaded, push a button and it fires, but you could also push a button and Batman would, if he was holding, if the figure was holding properly onto the handlebars, he would flip out and yeah, you could use him to swoop down on uh, perhaps on Mr. Freeze or Clayface, who was another cool toy. When you squeezed him, he fired off the, the clay spike ball. Um, and I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, there were a couple things my dad had to do the parent waiting in line for on Christmas thing. And one of them when I was very young was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, TurtleCom. Uh, it was very much just like a turtle shell, turtle communicator uh, with a Morse code sheet in there for some reason and a button that made a beep noise when he pushed it. Rather simple thing, but I loved it. Um, and he eventually did the same thing when the Nintendo Wii came out, uh, which is just a quick preview as to what my current toys are. I, I definitely remember that the, the turtle com, I definitely remember that being a toy that we wouldn't all be hankering to play with whenever we were with you, Gabe. Um, and you know, the, the, the Batman anim animated series toys are all great. And Dan, when you had mentioned GoBots, it had occurred to me that we really haven't talked at all over the course of our, well, at least not yet over the course of our toys podcast about transformers, which you know, maybe that's because I haven't necessarily, as I've been moderating, I haven't been talking all that much, and Transformers are definitely my toy of choice. But I, 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 I'd be remiss if I didn't at least give a little bit of love to the Transformers. Um, specifically, you know, you have your your Constructicons, you can build them into Devastator. Um, the Dinobots were a really, really cool set of toys. And I specifically love, remember, you know, falling in love with transformers specifically that original set of transformers that dan and josh you would have played with more as i kind of got back into them i would say like late 90s into like early 2000s when i was kind of like trying to buy the old toys that weren't being sold anymore um you know, not always the, the, the best designed ones. I, I do remember a rather upsetting experience where I was going to buy a version of Jazz that Dad is pretty sure was already broken, but then I was at the toy store and evidently broke it, and then the the, the guy at the toy store was kind of rude at me, or rude with me, but, 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 but other than that, I remember really, really loved playing with all of those Transformed toys. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry, Jay, we had to cut your Transformer section earlier so I could get on my fuddy-duddy soapbox. So I thank you for your time. I could have sworn that we worked that into the outline that I didn't write. <laughs>
Well, dorks, you know, would, would expect nothing less of you, but just love all of the great, uh, all, all the great toys that you were talking about here. You know, definitely we'd be filling plenty of the, not only the top shelf, we'd be filling all of the shelves um, in the, in, in, in the bedrooms of our childhoods. Um, again, like the one point question, a lot of different directions that I could go, uh, go with, um, you know, Gabe talking about some of those great Batman animated uh, toys. Um, also the turtle con. Um, excellent toy there. Um, Dan, again, you know, with the, um, you know, always, you know, I, I'm a lifelong learner here. I always love learning those new phrases, those new, that new vocab vocabulary. So understanding that articulation is, you know, specifically the, the verbiage that I was looking for. Uh, but not surprisingly, Josh is going to be earning the two points here. Um, he came out to an early lead with, you know, really throwing down the gauntlet that was Baby Bear. Um, you know, once he threw that one out, we all knew it was going to be difficult to take these two points away from Josh. Uh, but also, he kind of just reinforced them with a couple of points that he made later on. Talked about, be, you know, us all growing up in the golden era of action figures, which I think was a very observant point. And then also bring up the X-Men figurines, which, Josh, I know there was a – I think you said like there was a – slightly shorter phase where you were into X-Men action, action figures. And I feel like that then, I, I don't know if they were necessarily passed down to me or if I kind of just picked up where you left off with that. But I definitely remember sort of a prolonged um, enjoyment experience with those different X-Men figures and totally agree with what you were saying with the size ratio between the Sentinel and the other action figures. So, so Josh, you're going to be earning these two points. Congratulations. Thanks, Jay. I will gladly accept these two points as payment for those uh, X-Men toys, which you uh, requisitioned from me uh, circa about uh, 1999, probably. I mean, were you really going to still be using them? You were probably looking for Benito Santiago then or something. Steve Eiserman. <laughs> yeah. No, in 1999, <laughs> he was looking for the next Mo Vaughn. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Jeff Bagwell, maybe? Oh, there you go. That's a good one. <laughs> All right. Well, well, good ones aside, we're going to be moving into our third point question. Dan, we're going to be going to you first. Um, and, and, you know, this is called Dork Fest, the podcast. So not surprisingly, these toys that we love, we may have physically let go of some of them, but we never let go of any of them inside of our hearts. And some of them we never let go of at all. And that's really the central focus of this three-point question. What I'd like to know from all of the dorks is what are the toys that you still own? Now, this could be the toys that you kept from childhood into adulthood or perhaps those toys that you sought back out. Um, you know, presumably not the ones that you found at the, at the Toy Island Target. Might have to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, but, but, Dan, going to you first. What are the toys that you either still own or never got rid of? I will start with the toys that I still own. Um, I still own a number of uh, vintage original Star Wars characters. They're not in great shape. Um, only the uh, Hoth soldier has, has a gun. He's got his little like shoulder gun, slings over his shoulder. I have a C-3PO and R2-D2, a Chewbacca, um, a Luke Hoth. Gosh, that that might be about it. Um, those are those are the original ones. They're like they're not in great shape. They don't have their accessories. Doesn't matter. I love them. Um, they're they're tucked away. Um, 
the other toys that I still have from like original toying and and collecting then of toys, I mentioned the starting lineups of um, my Ken Griffey Jr. starting lineups that I still have. Um, I still have the Ozzie Smith and the Oral Hershiser original run of starting lineups. And then I also still have, um, speaking of Star Trek toys, we, we didn't discuss, uh, Star Trek had a line of eight inch, um, they're effectively like, like dolls, eight inch like Star Trek doll characters that I was really into for a time and collected those for a good long while. And I, and I still have that, that full collection that I amassed, whether it was, um, you know, the Borg or the Romulan commander, uh, you know, Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock. And, and then they made these really neat KB toys, which has been out of business, RIP KB toys for probably 15 years now. They would do these special editions where they would release like a limited number pair of, of these characters. And I remember they did a Kirk and a Spock in Piece of the Action Garb. They did a Kirk and Spock um, in Mirror Mirror. Uh, where Kirk's got the, you know, the ripped tunic. Um, so I've got a couple of those, like, you know, unique special sets, and I, and I still have those. And then in terms of, like, toys, I've, I've bought back. Um, G.I. Joe's is the big one. I, I got into that a number of years ago. So I probably have about 15 to 20 G.I. Joe's that between toy shows and comic book shops and eBay, I've, I've, I've kind of cobbled together a little collection. Um, and then probably the, the, the nicest toy that I have, I bought at a toy show. I mean, this was years ago. I bought um, a Hoth Han Solo, original Hoth Han Solo uh, mint on card uh, that, I, that I still have. And I, I bought it at the time for, you know, 25 or 30 bucks or whatever it is. And it's worth more than that now. And that, that's irrelevant. Um, I just it's cool. Like I've always, Empire Strikes Back has always been my favorite movie in part because I've always loved the scenes on Hoth. Han is the best character that there is. Sorry, Luke. Um, so to have that in, in nice shape and, and I love being able to see the back where they, those vintage cards, they, they had little pictures of all the characters from that line. So you'd see like the back of it's got like 50 different Star Wars guys that you'd be able to buy. So uh, I have that. That's probably the, the pride and joy of my modest remaining toy collection. I'll go next is Dan. I also have a uh, Hoth Han Solo um, out of the box though. Um, I, I'm pretty much down to like one small cardboard box and one little plastic baggie of like action figure type toys. Um, so Hoth Han and Hoth Luke are two. Benito Santiago, who I shared earlier, he's my he's my oldest, you know, one that I still have from years and years ago. Um, I have a Charles Woodson in Michigan Wolverine, uh, maize and blue, with his Heisman Trophy. Uh, that one is, is pretty darn cool. That's probably my favorite starting lineup that I have. I've got a few GI Joes. Um, probably the two, two, the two coolest bad guys are the Televiper that Dan mentioned earlier and Dr. Mindbender. Um, and then my, my favorite good guy GI Joe was always Beachhead. Um, and I've, so, so it, the GI Joes I've reclaimed I, i've bought again as dan said uh, at toy shows and, and things of that nature um 
mint on card i've got well, i don't know if it's mint because they're kind of like crammed in these old you know department store boxes i've got some cooperstown collection starting lineups i've got a uh i've got a roberto clemeni i've got a bob feller i've got a bob i think i've got a combo bob gibson and stan musial because they're both st louis cardinals um so that's that's about it um as i mentioned earlier my kids are you know, they're five and a half years old. And so they're playing with a ton of toys. And so, you know, I certainly am, you know, to take a particular shine to a few of theirs. And like I said earlier, I think the Pokemon are the coolest toys that they have uh, these days. The design of those things are, are excellent. And uh, the, the two newest toys that I've bought for myself are the, uh, the Funko Pop Bobbles of, uh, of Mando and Grogu. Um, and so the, the, those are over the last, I mean, I don't know, you know, 10, 15 years, the only, you know, new toys that I've bought for myself are those two new Star, Star Wars things. That's where my toy collection stands now. I, as, I, as I said, it's, it's one box, one bag, and, and, and a couple of rows of, of shelves, you know, d down where nobody can see them. Um, a, a sorry state, but, but I know it's there. We always have to keep our stash, you know, and, and generally probably best to keep it out of sight. I'm, I'm with you there, Josh. Um, it makes it more enjoyable to, like, go back through. But, oh, I forgot I had that guy. Totally. Totally. I'm, I'm in a similar boat. There's a couple of uh, – there's one Batman figure in particular I, I stumbled upon at either a comic convention or a toy store years later that was a, the same one modeled off the one from 89 that was a, it was a Toy Biz toy from 1989 that uh, it has that retractable belt I'd mentioned before. He's really cool. I had to get him again. I've got another Batman that's based off a particular artist design. They occasionally do figures in the style that certain artists draw the characters. So that's, that's another one I picked up for myself. Um, still got a whole bunch of, not buying any new ones, but I've still got a, probably a dozen decks that I built of Pokemon cards because uh, that was big, uh, that playing that game was big in our house for a long while. And I, about six feet behind me, I've got a cardboard box with yeah, a bunch of old cards in there, um, which yeah, I'll probably have to go through at some point because it's exactly that. Oh, I forgot I had this. Oh, that's a cool card. And then three hours later, I'll have built two new decks. It's going to be a great use of my time, I know. Um, and nowadays, I, uh, I've got a few stand-up things here and again, um, but it, my, the toys I play with now are mostly, uh, and you know, here I am, by my own words, uh, you know, an Xbox and Nintendo Switch. If I've got a little bit of uh, you know, playtime in me, it's probably going to be a little bit of Zelda or Super Smash or maybe even Battlefield if I'm feeling particularly frisky and want to play a Star Wars shooter. I mean, it's uh, no sports for me here, guys. You know I've never been cool enough for that. Well, you know, and I, I love how, you know, Gabe, as you were just talking there a second ago, you, the, I, I think it's natural that as you get older, the, the, the toys become collectible, nostalgic collectibles, right? They become collectible collectibles of your memories collectibles of your childhood um and for me too you know when i think about the current toys that i have I, what i play with most now is something that i got somewhat recently which is my record player which doesn't necessarily play into the toys that we've been talking about but does play into the collectible nature of what we're talking about perhaps a little bit more on the toy route i have to give a quick shout out to one of the fellow dorks who who 
ha you know, gifted one of the, the few toys that I still have in my home. And, and it toy might not be the appropriate terminology for it because in truth, it's a map, but it is a Columbo map that was given to me by Dan um, and it, it basically maps out different locations across Los Angeles and in, in the Colombo extended universe, as we could call it. Um, but, but, you know, I think where that fits in with what all of the, my fellow dorks have already said is it's, it's these collectibles that are um, representative of our franchises or representative of our memories. Um, and for that reason are cherished. Yeah, I mean, I think, part, you know, Josh and I had mentioned, you know, and Gabe alluded to it as well, the idea of, I don't know, it's not necessarily like buying back our childhood, but it's like, now that we are older, you have some disposable income, at least a little bit, and, and you sort of want a visual reminder of, of some of these memories, and, and you remember the joy that they gave you then, and and that sort of gets kind of stirred up in you again and and you sort of want to feel that again and and to josh's point yeah i mean my you know the gi joe figures that i've you know kind of reclaimed in the last 15 years or whatever it may be i mean they're just in a in a tub under under one of those end tables that josh referenced earlier and you know i probably go in there once a year and and every year you look through and it's like, oh man, I forgot. That's right. I did. I did get Lady J off eBay that one time. And isn't that cool that I, that I have that? And I remember, you know, yeah, playing with Beachhead down in the basement and, and putting him in the snowcat when I couldn't find my snow job character. So like, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of discovering or rediscovering, you know, some of those memories and, and just, feeling those kind of warm, warm and fuzzies all over again, you know, kind of, kind of like this podcast. I mean, Josh referenced baby bear way back when, and that reminded me, darn it. Like, you know, how did I, how did I forget Sparky? Sparky was my cabbage patch kid way back a thousand years ago with, with a head that was as hard as a rock and probably could not be handled by small children anymore as hard as that plastic was. But I remember he had a little green tunic and a little yellow duck on his on his little set of overalls and like that was that i mean that was no joke 37 years ago but i remember it plain as day as we're sitting here you know staring at each other so you know anybody who says that that stuff doesn't leave lasting memories and, and isn't important i don't want to know that person dan i think you nailed it really i mean I, I yeah i think the fun part about having some of these things now is that is as totems you know just to carry on a little bit of you know what we we're doing, and you know, I mean, this. Uh, just to follow Jordan, Jordan's example, this podcast not a toy, but kind of a totem, a chance for us to carry through and you know represent the things we're enjoying. And you can also taunt older siblings with traumatic memories. <laughs> <laughs> but that you put that Romulan Warbird on a cloaking device, man, he won't even see it coming. Yeah. Tell you what, I'm gonna dig that video up and I'm gonna show it to your kids. And I'm going to say, look what your dad did to me on Christmas of all days. I am going to go Zabruder film on that thing because I, as I remember it, I barely touched you. <laughs> I mean, it was, I, I was just flying the thing ever so gently. And then, oops, I dropped. Just, 
I know. dropped from an I, elevation and hit me in the head. Dan, like, and I was probably, the, and I was probably battle under the in tree, the Mutara Nebula, and I was probably yeah. under the tree digging out a Christmas present for you. Battle in the Mutara Nebula, Z minus ninety degrees. Sometimes these spaceships need to go up and down. Mm. Really hard on Dan's head. <laughs> yeah, that's not how I remember it. Uh, just as a final, um, you know bid to get three points here i think it's it's worth noting i want to go back to the pink rubber ball for a moment because at the end of the day um i feel like what we're all the simplest thing is just is you know is the ball i, I had a great time a lot i have some of my favorite recess memories are just you know, grabbing a tennis ball and playing wall ball sounds like the same thing you guys were doing um with two of my friends and the, the next best memory i have with those guys not a toy thing we're in the woods fighting with sticks it's a ball and it's a stick and it's, you know, the time you're sharing with folks. If you get, if you get to play in a group with your siblings, when you're, you know, not dropping ordinance on them and uh, in any way, shape or form. And then, you know, also, yeah, the, the time you sort of just get as a kid to live in your own favorite worlds for a little while, whether it's the us play. And I love that Josh playing as us. I mean, before long that overtook toy. I mean, toys might buttress that, but that became the point of play for me in a while. So, I mean, maybe that's the, the fun thing about toys is that, yeah, it is they're Like I said before, to wrap up, they're still what you make of them. And it's uh, a lot of fun to have some fun toy memories with you guys too. I also got to dig up one or two family home videos here because I know we have a Christmas visit at your guys' house. And Jordy, I think you and I are playing with that uh, Batman, the animated series with the wings. It had like a hang glider pack backpack that would come out. Oh, yeah. It was that in the man bat, because those wings would flap with the button you pushed in the back. There was, we, were, we were chasing each other around with that one. Warm and fuzzies. Just like yeah. Well, well, and, and, and I'm like the other two dorks. I don't think either of us attempted to drop something on the other person's head. Not this time, no. It's no. your loss. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Dro you've never, you've never dropping dropped. a toy on, on another person's head brings you closer together, not further <laughs> apart. You've never dropped a toy on someone's head until you've dropped it in the original Romulan Warbird. Kind of a tortured quote, but there we are. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little tortured. Well, well dorks, I, I mean, I, I've said it after the one and the two-point questions. Just excellent work, excellent work. And I would expect nothing less. Um, you know, exactly what I was looking for when I came up with this topic idea, just to, you know, really allow ourselves to go down memory lane and, you know, go inside the toy chest of our childhood and look back at some of the toys, but then also, you know, as we've done, you kind of unpack, you know, what is a toy for us? What, what, what brings meaning to these toys? A lot of different directions that I could go in with these three points. Um, ultimately though, we're going to be going, I said at the beginning, he's the new Mr. Dork. We're going to be going to Dan. Dan's going to be taking home this, this episode. And, and, and it's not just to make up for any bruises on his noggin. Um, you know, it, it really comes down to the point that you made about the dolls. Um, you know, I, I specifically remember those being such special collectibles i'm talking specifically about the star trek dolls dan that you were talking about during, during just a little while ago you know i remember those just being such special collectibles and that's really then what got me thinking about 
you know, throughout the rest of that three-point question about the collectible nature of toys and how they are, you know, as Gabe said, totems of our childhood now, and they give us something to, to hold on to. So with that in mind, Dan, I hope you enjoy holding on to these three points and holding on to another 2021 Dorkfest the Podcast victory. I will hold on to those three points and to this victory as I hold on to all the toys that I still have in my toy collection and those that will still be acquired in the years to come. Yes, I am a 39-year-old man with a professional career who, yes, has fully admitted to owning and collecting Star Trek dolls, and I'm proud of it. And I will leave you gentlemen with just this one final sentiment that the Burt boycott is in full effect.